electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, COVID fatigue, vaccines, trials, and when it'll all be over. Dr. Scott Gottlieb. We're probably in the seventh inning of the acute phase of this pandemic right now, but the hardest part's probably ahead. Getting back to the box office, some movie theaters are opening back up, but CEO of AMC says limited capacity is the least of his concerns. We very carefully modeled these seat limitations on our capacity. That really doesn't take many people out of our theaters. The issue is consumer demand. And platforms or publishers. Twitter, Facebook making editorial decisions and getting in some hot water. Insider CEO Henry Blodgett. Whether they want to be or not, they are media distributors. Those stories plus Boeing 737 MAX is almost back in the air and the long winding road to more stimulus. I just don't know the last time I spent an hour talking about anything. It's Monday, October 19th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The top story out of Washington, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is calling on the White House to reconcile its remaining differences on a new coronavirus economic stimulus package. She's giving the Trump administration a new 48-hour deadline if it wants a bill by Election Day. In an interview yesterday, Pelosi said she's optimistic, even amid all of the back and forth, Pelosi spoke with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin for more uh, than an hour about the package over the weekend. What's with the 48-hour deadline? And, and by the way, does that start today or was, did that start yesterday? Like it's got to be done by tomorrow? I, I don't know about deadline. I was that. thinking about the hour-long conversation and it's just a long conversation. What that might be? I, well, I just don't know the last time I spent an hour talking about anything. But uh, you know, I, I, I we spend like three to, hours every day talking about stuff. We do, but not on the phone. Not on the phone for for a yeah. solid hour. And I, I guess they both had landlines because that would you know that would have been dropped like eight times. Don't you get your is your cell service any good? I mean, it's constantly getting dropped. I got to no. walk yes. around different parts. Where, where do you live? You know where I live. You've seen the gates. You talk about them all the time, the, the gates and the hounds and everything. <laughs> Release the hounds. Remember, uh, what was that, uh, Mr. Burns, Mr. Uh, Burns? I remember Release the Kraken. I forget who said Release the Hounds. Yeah, but Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns, Montgomery, Montgomery oh. Burns. What do I say? Release the hounds. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I just wonder. I mean, there's, I guess there's a lot to talk about. Um, God, they've had a lot of conversations. It's got to be hours and hours well, and it- hours by now between Mnuchin and, and Pelosi. You know, I, I, I don't and know. And it's minutia that they are talking about the, this point. Minutia, minutia. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's the language that they're really talking about. I, I think even in the testing, we, we had uh, minutia on the program back on Friday, and he said that they were going to say okay to everything they wanted to the language. They are still arguing back and forth about the language, just about testing, about may versus must, recommended versus required. I mean, it, it, it's down to right. words like that, and that's why you end up spending an hour on the phone. An hour. All right. We'll try it. Uh, so you really have no problems uh, with, with your cell phone ever? They don't drop or anything? Or? 
Sometimes I'm in the wrong place, sure, but I've organized my life like I hope others you have tried to organize things in their home that their Manhattan. phones work. You don't say call me on a landline if, you, if, if it's possible when you are in your, do you have one in your home, you guys? Never. No. You Never. don't have a, no kidding. In corporate news this morning, uh, let's tell you about American Airlines uh, planning to return Boeing's grounded 737 MAX to service. They're saying now in late December. This, of course, pending FAA approval. American has scheduled a daily flight now, though, between Miami and New York from December 29th to January 4th. So it's already on the calendar. Do you have a mini tower? I have a mini tower. Not in New York City, I don't need a mini tower. But when I'm in, in Connecticut, Connecticut? I, I need a mini tower as it happens. So you got a mini tower. No wonder you got, you, you act like it's just normal. It's to not have a called a mini sensor, tower. It's a, it's a, it's a, so it's you got a, one. It's not you've even called a mini something. tower. That's you, not the you've phrase. You've got some, uh, It's like a mini some, cell thing. Yeah, some portable thing you move around. You can get one, Joe. They're available okay, to anybody. Okay, I will. Okay. 150 bucks, 200 bucks, they're available. All right. All right. I, that's, I, maybe I'll get one. But bucks, so you have one. then your phone will work. You don't have one, Becky, do you? $2,000 phone. Do you have one? No, I don't. I'm going to look into it, though. All right. Two weeks and one day to go before the presidential election. And if you thought social media wasn't going to be a part of the story like four years ago, well, then the last week proved you wrong. We saw Facebook and Twitter limit distribution of articles reporting on a laptop purportedly owned by Hunter Biden and assorted emails involving his father, then a reversal of that decision by Twitter. Also, allegations of censorship from lawmakers in Washington it's got many looking to haul tech leaders before Congress uh, for testimony. Joining us now, a widely respected tech watcher, Henry Blagett. I think we should, it gives you a little more class, Blagett. Blagett might even be cooler, Henry. Co-founder co -founder and CEO uh, of Insider. Um, not easy to totally alienate both sides, is it, Henry? So, I mean, we have uh, the, the head of the ADL on constantly saying, you know, Facebook doesn't take down anything, ever. You know, no matter, you know, hate speech, white supremacy, you know, doesn't take down. Now, go to the other side, and you really have, have got everybody upset uh, on that side with this whole, what do we even call this thing now, Lapgate or something? Do you, do you have a name for it, Henry? I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, all I can say to the social media companies is, well, well done building the most powerful social communications media platforms in the world. And now welcome to the controversy that goes along with being a publisher, because that is what they are. And yes, that was a surprising decision, particularly by Twitter last week, to actually block the URL. Obviously, an enormous outcry. Maybe they will be dragged in front of Congress and beaten up, and, and we'll see what comes of this. I, I think the general picture is that for the last five years, most of the social platforms, including YouTube, have been, have been increasingly raising the bar on the kind of editorial and content that can appear on the, on the platforms. And I think that will continue. There's a long way to go. And the question, obviously, is what does Congress do? Do they suddenly eliminate the Section 230 exemption? If so, you know, how long do the companies have? What are they going to have to do particularly? A lot of questions will come from it. But I think the broader, broader story is they're going to get in. The bar is going to increasingly be raised as to what can be published. People have made the point that um, either way, if, it, if, the, if it's a big fake hoax, Russia spy craziness, if it's that thing, God, that'd be a great story to know that. Or, I mean, it goes without saying that if they're authentic and it really is his laptop, that would be a big story. 
I'd be, I would want to, as, as Twitter or Facebook or mainstream media or anybody, I'd be, I, I would want to look very closely at all the details, I, just as a quest for, for what's true and what's not. Wouldn't you? Why, how do they get around that rationale? Yeah, absolutely. And even what you just said would be controversial at a lot of media organizations. A lot of media Why? organizations, how? journalists. What did I, what did say, I, I, I didn't mean to. I would say it would not be a big deal. This is the vice president's son. It's not him, etc. But let's not talk about that. But yes, it is. It, it is incredibly complicated. And the idea that Twitter is actually going to have their own team of fact checkers go deep into a story published by another news organization, CNBC, New York Times, Fox News, before they allow transmission of that URL, that would be a huge hurdle for them. And I think it's why they reacted so quickly and said, whoops. We screwed up. Sorry about that. We're just going to put language on tweets going forward. But even that, three or four months ago, even then they didn't even do that. And now they're regularly putting language on tweets. And, and so it's, they, are, they are, whether they want to be or not, they are media distributors. They have long had lines around pornography and drugs and things like that. Now the lines are going to get even higher. And, and eventually they will start to approach the lines that cable networks, newspapers, family newspapers, and others have always had to deal with. And it's tough, as you've just pointed out, Joe. Hey, Henry, how, you know, I love the way airlines, you know, you ever, in the old days, you'd look up a fare and it'd be to the penny, no matter who you went to, and it's like, wow, do these guys talk, or how does that, how did Facebook and Twitter both know this is something we can't share? How did they, did, does Jack talk to Mark? Uh, they seem like they're not always on the same side. Somehow they knew, whoa, this is something, whoa. I mean, how did they both know, Henry? That is a very good question, very good story. We'd love to hear your journalists and ours go deep in to figure it out because it was very quick. Uh, it was one particular story, obviously very controversial, going to get a lot of a lot of view um, and scrutiny. And But yes, they both reacted. I, I think what you're seeing is both companies getting beaten up by both sides constantly. And they're getting more sensitive to this, and, and that is going to continue. The, the environment is not going to change. Maybe when we get past the election, it, it calms down a little bit, but it's not going to change. You know, something you tweeted out is kind of interesting, though, just sw switching gears totally. Um, we got, like, a bunch of companies worth more than a trillion dollars, and the technology makes up more of the market than ever before, but you still aren't convinced that, that the valuations are at least I don't know whether you're saying they're not overvalued, but you're at least saying it's not the same type of overvaluation from the late 90s. Uh, yes to both of those. I, they're expensive. There's no question. They're, you look at Facebook, and, and several of them are trading around 30 times trailing earnings. That is a big multiple for the companies this size, but it is nothing like the late 1990s, even for big companies like Cisco. Cisco, I remember, was 75 times earnings, something like that. So, And then the other factor that is coming into it is just digital has moved so deep into the economy that you've got a lot of companies that are considered tech companies that are really in the retail business in the case of Amazon, in the media business in the case of Google, Facebook, and, and so forth. So they really go beyond what traditional media is. But they're expensive, no question, but nothing like the late 1990s. So once we get through this election, Henry, I, I think there is some reckoning coming. I don't know what it looks like. Does, 230, does Section 230 survive? Does, um, do they self-regulate? 
Um, I, I don't know. What, what do you I, look into the future? Yeah. What do you see? Very good question. I, I, I think they have to continue to self-regulate, and I think they will. I think they will continue to raise the bar because, it, it, in part, internally, you have a lot of dissent among people who run the work, work at the companies saying, you know, what are we doing? Why are we contributing to this? Can't we be better? And that is really going to drive a lot of it. It'll also be very interesting to see what happens with Section 230 and Congress. I think Congress will try to regulate. I think as they dig in, they will figure out how complicated it is, and they will also not want to hurt their ability to get their message out, because a lot of this is the, the underlying message is, hey, let us say whatever we want, at least on our side. So it's going to be very complicated, but a high level, I think these companies will survive and do just fine. As long as they have time, they can raise the bar and they'll get through it. So I don't think this is an existential event for them. All right, Henry, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and you know, we have Great no to be with you. the uncertainty is going to be there. I don't even know how, the, I don't know what the Supreme Court would do uh, on this issue. I don't know whether it'd be eight to seven or nine to six, or, I mean, who knows? Uh, who knows how they'll come down on, uh, you know, next year. So anyway, uh, Henry Blodgett, we yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. We'll, we'll, see you. We'll, we'll see you again soon. Good to see you, Henry. Next on Squawk Pod, former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb on the chances of a COVID vaccine as winter approaches. We're going to have to get through this next wave without the benefit of protective immunity from a vaccine. And it looks like we're entering a pretty difficult period right now. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. I don't know about you guys, but we've been doing a lot of testing in our house recently. Uh, kids now for school actually have to do it weekly. So we actually have to take the stick and go up the nose with it and uh, put it in plastic and they take it to school the next day. We're going to school every day now? Yep. Every day, five days a week. I, I, mine I would, are too, but they're not doing any mine, testing. Mine are not. I don't understand. Mine is, is I don't understand. It's a, it's a, it's a parochial school, a Catholic school in, uh, uh, in New Jersey. I don't understand. One day a week. One day a week. And it's tough. It's really tough. Not for, not for us. I love having you know, them around. Joe, but. it depends. I, I, sh I should clarify that for, for the high school, they're only going a couple of days a week. But for oh, the okay. younger kids, they're going five days a week here. Days half, days, high school. half days. Half days. Five days a week. Yeah. Yes, yeah. High, high school, they figure they can do a little better remote. For the younger kids, right. it's harder. And that's why in our school district, it's different. It's sad. I mean, it, 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 you know, I, I want it to be safe and I worry and, I, you know, I know about immune systems and young people and you still worry, but just socially yeah. and, and everything else. Senior year, it's like, I know. I don't, it's just. Yeah. No, there's no good answers. I, there's there's no no easy answers I mean, I'm worried about stuff. next semester. What about next semester? Do we know? I know. 
No. Next semester, we don't know about the fall of next year. In fact, let's try and get some answers. We've yep. got somebody who can help us out a little bit on that. At this point, the U.S. has now recorded more than 8 million COVID-19 infections. And joining us right now with his take on where we're headed is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's a former FDA commissioner, as you know. He's also a CNBC contributor, and he serves on the boards of both Illumina and Pfizer. He's also got a new op-ed out in the Wall Street Journal titled, Where Do I Go to Get My COVID Antibody Cocktail? It's all about how one of the biggest challenges is making sure these new treatments get to those who need them most. So, Dr. Gottlieb, let's just start off with a, a state of play on where things stand. We know that the cases are going up again. You heard what we were just saying with concerns about schools, trying to figure out where we get back to these levels. At the same time, I did see some good news over the weekend. It, it looked like Pfizer has already got hundreds of thousands of doses of its vaccine ready to go so that it can go ahead and start getting those out as soon as it receives approval if the tests come back and show it's safe. I also saw that um, AstraZeneca's Oxford vaccine looks like they're planning on having that go available potentially by Christmas time. So just tell us where we stand. Tell us how we should feel about all of this. Well, I'll start with the vaccine. Um, and as you know, I'm on the board of Pfizer, which has one of the advanced products in development. It, in a best case scenario, if, in the, if these trials demonstrate that the vaccines are safe and effective, you're going to see emergency use authorization filings probably sometime late November. That's what the companies have said. It's going to take FDA anywhere from two to four weeks to review those applications. So assuming three weeks is a base case, if the FDA authorizes those vaccines, it's going to be for a very select population, people who are elderly and high risk. It's going to take at least two to four weeks to vaccinate that population. Um, and then they're going to have to wait three to four weeks to get a second dose. So in the case of Pfizer vaccine, it's three weeks. In the case of the Moderna vaccine, it's four weeks. And then they'll have to wait a few weeks after that second dose in order to have full protective immunity. So we're looking at a scenario where the first tranche of people to get vaccinated, which are going to be the elderly population, aren't going to have protective immunity from the vaccine probably until February or March. So we're going to have to get through this next wave without the benefit of protective immunity from a vaccine. And it looks like we're entering a pretty difficult period right now. The cases are accelerating around the country. There's really no backstop here. There's not going to be a national shutdown. Um, there's no therapeutic intervention that's going to dramatically turn a tide short of these antibody drugs, which I think are going to be very hard to distribute, as I say in the Wall Street Journal today. And the vaccine really isn't going to start to have its impact until 2021. So we need to look at the fact that we're going to face a very difficult situation. Now, we're going to get through it. We're probably in the seventh inning of the acute phase of this, this pandemic right now. But the hardest part's probably ahead. So when you hear things like what happens with school, and I know that the elderly population isn't going to have something available till February, March, but it's going to take even longer for kids to, to get anything available because they haven't really started the testing on them yet, or they're just in the early stages of that, right? That's right. So the vaccine trials are testing, I think, now 12 or 13 and above, where there's amendments to the protocols to start testing down to about 12. But once you get below 12, you're probably going to need to reformulate these vaccines into a lower dose because um, the vaccines in their current formulation, the current dose, might be too potent for a younger child, which is going to mount a better immune response to the vaccine. And so reformulating the vaccine for a child younger than 12 or 13 is going to require new phase one, phase two testing, um, new CMC work. So that's a long way off. The reality is what you want to do is get the vaccine out to protect the population that's most vulnerable, most at risk, um, and get enough people vaccinated that you can create some, some semblance of herd immunity because that's going to ultimately protect the children. The children are not um, key vectors of this virus in the same way that they are with flu. So it's not pivotal that we vaccinate the kids because they're not the ones uh, causing the community spread. They're vectors 
but not on the same order that they are in other disease settings. And that's what the evidence really does show. Doctor, wanted to get your reaction to the tweet by uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Scott Atlas, uh, of course, uh, advisor to the president, uh, saying that masks don't work, and then Twitter's decision to take that tweet down. Well, look, I think we lose sight of why we put the mask recommendation in in the first place and why CDC was willing to recommend cloth, cloth masks. It wasn't to provide you as an individual protection when you wore the mask. It was to protect other people from you in case you were an asymptomatic spreader. And the masks are effective for that purpose. They do cut down on your propensity to transmit um, respiratory droplets. So if you do have coronavirus and you don't know it and you're out and about, with a mask on, you're less likely to spread it. Now, most people want to derive some benefit from wearing a mask, um, and most people can, but it depends on the quality of the mask that you wear. A cloth mask isn't going to protect you all that much. It's going to provide some benefit, but not a lot, and that's what the data shows. If you wear a procedure mask, a level three or level two procedure mask, that's going to afford you a better level of protection, about 67%. If you wear N95 masks, that's going to afford you very good protection if you can wear that reliably and consistently. So if you want to protect yourself, the quality of the mask really does matter. But just to clarify then, are you, are you, are you telling us that and, and telling viewers they shouldn't wear a mask? Are you in the camp of, doc, of, of, of Dr. Scott Atlas? No, absolutely not. Everyone should wear a mask. If everyone wore a mask, we would dramatically cut down on transmission of coronavirus. I think what I'm saying is that you know, people are arguing, oh, the masks don't protect you. The masks do protect you, first of all, so I want to be clear about that. But the reason why we are asking people to wear masks isn't to protect individuals, it's to protect other people from you in the event that you're an asymptomatic spreader. If you do want to protect yourself with a mask, the quality of the mask does matter. A cloth mask is going to provide some protection, so I would recommend everyone continue to provide a, wear a cloth mask because not only is it going to provide you some protection, it's going to protect other people from you. And that was the original purpose of of trying to recommend the use of masks. But if you want to afford yourself a higher degree of protection, quality of mask matters. We've said that all along. So try to find a procedure mask. And if you can get one, try to find an N95 mask. But masks work. They protect people. Most of all, they protect other people from you in the event that you have the virus and you're asymptomatic and spreading it. Scott, let, let's get to what you wrote about in the Wall Street Journal today, and that's just the idea that there's not going to be enough of these drugs or these uh, antiviral cocktails or any of the uh, things that you could use to try and ease COVID when it, when it, when it hits. How do we figure out who gets what? I, I mean, it seems like if you have money, if you have an in, maybe you're at the top of the list. Is, is that how it's going to work? I hope not. Um, I think the challenge with these antibody drugs can be a bridge to a vaccine. We've been saying this since April and May. We're not going to have enough supply, unfortunately, because we didn't make the right decisions back then to ramp up production. We'll have a lot of supply heading into 2021. The companies have done really good work trying to ramp up their own production, but we haven't had a deliberate strategy. I think the bigger challenge right now, and this is what I wrote about in the Wall Street Journal today, is for these antibody drugs, you really have to give them when someone's first diagnosed before they're very sick, ideally before they're even symptomatic. So they're going to be authorized for vulnerable patients, older patients initially, because we don't have enough drugs, so we're going to have to ration them. And you're going to have to ask someone who's not very sick to go into an emergency room to get an infusion, because that's the government plan. The government plan is to distribute these inside emergency rooms. And if someone's having coronavirus and they have to go to the emergency room to get an infusion, chances are they're in a location where there's an epidemic. So those emergency rooms are going to be overrun. So now you're asking someone who's not very sick to go into an emergency room to get a three-hour infusion knowing that there is an epidemic and there's probably going to be a long wait inside the ER for that drug. And mind you, 
patients are reluctant to take injectable drugs to begin with. People are comfortable swallowing a pill, but they always perceive taking a, an infusion as something that's riskier. So I think there's going to be a lot of reluctance to use these drugs, given the way the government plans to distribute them. And what we're advocating is that they should be distributed at home. We should use home infusion to be administering these drugs. The other challenge with bringing people into the emergency room is that you're bringing them into the emergency room. So they bring COVID patients to the emergency room. You're asking someone to take them to the hospital. So you're going to expose a lot of people in the process versus sending a trained nurse into someone's home to give them a home, home infusion and that nurse can protect themselves with an N95 mask. So I think, I think we need to rethink the distribution strategy if we're going to want to make use of these drugs this fall. Hey, Scott, I had a quick, just returning to the mask for a second, I had a quick, quick question. So I, I had, years ago, 3M sent me a couple of N95s. They sent, you know, I got some tape and Post-its and all this stuff. So I had them ready to go, and I've had them since March, and I've been wearing them, two of them. Every day I alternate. Um, I used to microwave them um, for a little while, or, or no, not microwave them. I used to put them in, in at 210 degrees in the oven, you know, to kill the stuff. I stopped doing that, and now I just, but I, I still wear them. Do they last forever, that little thing in front? Is that, am I still at an N95? I mean, they, they're not looking too good to people who see me. Uh, they, you know, they're, yeah, they are. I would, I'd probably swap those out. The other problem with it, you, you may have denatured the mask, first of all. The other problem is that the bands start to stretch out and you don't get the tight fit. They're available in the consumer channel, a company called Acumet, A-C-C-U-M-E-D. Oh, you can go to their website. I, that would them. mean right. ordering. I still, but can, are they working? It's still working. I'm saying it's still working. It's got the thing and I feel it well, going through the front end. Okay, why don't you treat right. yourself to a new box, Joe? All right, I'll treat myself <laughs> to a new a new N95 for my birthday's coming up. I think you deserve uh, it. Yeah, my birthday's coming you're up. You're in I'll that age group, Joe. Yeah, you're. Oh, really? You're in that high risk how age you, group. How do you know that? You don't know. You, you don't know that. Look at my hair. Do I look like I'm in that age group? No, I do not. <laughs> we could be. We could have been in high school together, Gottlieb. So don't give me that crap. All right, that's my story. My story, and I'm, I could have been a teacher. Gottlieb's a baby. Could have been his teacher. Gottlieb's right. way young. As a school counselor. Gottlieb is. He was like 10 years younger than I am. He was in trouble all the time with the ladies. He was, I'm telling you. Anyway. Um, Scott, <laughs> thank you, Dr. Gottlieb. We will talk to you soon. Next on Squawk Pod, movie theaters in New York are opening back up, and the CEO of AMC says local moviegoers have little to worry about. Many millions of people have been through our theaters since they've reopened. We haven't heard of one instance of a COVID outbreak. Our theaters have never been cleaner, literally. We'll be back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. 
Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross uh, Sorkin. We're going to talk about uh, another industry that's been hard hit by the pandemic. It's been another tough weekend for the box office. Liam Neeson's Honest Thief uh, taking just $3.7 million in North American ticket sales. And guess what? It was the number one number one film this time last year. The second installment of Maleficent uh, earned 10 times that amount. Uh, we did get a little good news, though, this weekend. Uh, New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, uh, saying that uh, theaters outside of New York City now have permission to open at 25 percent capacity, and they can start doing that this Friday. Joining us right now is Adam Aaron. He is AMC Entertainment's president and CM, CEO. AMC will be serving guests in 44 of the 45 states. It has theaters beginning on Friday. I think the real question I'd ask you is, you know, how many people you think, what's the capacity going to look like? And do you think you can fill whatever, whatever limited capacity has been created here? Well, you know, uh, the news from Governor Cuomo on Saturday was a monumental step forward for the cinema industry. Uh, I think the governor, by the way, has done a fabulous job managing the virus. Remember what New York looked like in March when it was the epicenter of infection in the United States, and now it's been tamed. Uh, AMC has been able to open our theaters across the country. Now that we can open in New York, uh, New York State first, but that means New York City is right behind. Uh, that also means that the Christmas movies are going to hold that should mean that we will see new blockbuster movie titles in 2021. Uh, you know, like the airline industry, we're doing a fraction of what we did a year ago. But the question is what, not what we were doing yesterday. It's what, we will, what will we be doing over the next three, six, nine months? And I, I think finally with New York Open, our future, we can see our future is bright again. Adam, just, just walk through this, though. What's, what is going to be the limited capacity in each theater? Starting Friday for you? Uh, in New York? 25%? Uh, 50%? I think the governor has limited us to 25% in the theaters in which we open. Around the country, AMC has been, uh, depending upon the theater and the locale, has had a seat limitation of 20 to 40%. But you have to put those numbers in perspective. Uh, movie theaters aren't typically full. Uh, our industry is a church built for Easter Sunday. Last year, when AMC sold more tickets than any cinema chain in the world, we only filled 17% of our seats, one-seventh, 17%. So this capacity limitation is not the issue for us. The issue for us is making sure that we have blockbuster movies that will appeal to consumers so consumers come to theaters. And we have only had right. one but, but, but major Adam, film release but, but, since March of 2020. Adam, That's going to change. Adam, you're an expert on your industry more than I am, but my understanding of the business is that there are tentpole films, which you know so very well about, where you have 100% capacity uh, filled, and those are the very, very profitable films. And then there are other films that either stay in the theater, frankly, for too long, or get in the theater and really never get gain some traction. And that's what takes these averages down to such low levels. And so the real question is, whether these tentpole films are going to be put in theaters, and if they were, whether you'd actually be able to make a profit because you'd only be limited to having a 25% occupancy. Well, we, number one, we do expect that 25% capacity limit is going to increase. Remember, I said we're already much higher than that around the, around the country. 
But the way you frame the question, you're about two thirds right. You are right that tent poles drive our volume, but even the tent pole pictures do not sell out. And if they do, they might sell out for opening night, not even opening weekend. And those those movies run for eight, ten weeks. So uh, the we've mo we've very carefully modeled these seat limitations on our capacity. That really doesn't take many people out of our theaters. The issue is consumer right. demand. And, the, and what, what will drive consumer demand is if we have movie titles. You know, we're in sort of, we're a new car dealer, uh, and there have been no new cars that have been manufactured. We've had one major movie since March. Now, that's all going to change, uh, especially now that New York uh, is on the brink of opening. So, uh, finally, Adam, you think that the movie, uh, the, the movie, uh studios are going to start releasing these films if you're if you've got the bond film which i know keeps getting pushed out and pushed out you think you'd say okay i'm going to do it in the midst of this you don't think that you'd push it out another year anyway just because you want to get past a vaccine where you could actually have you know real capacity well, bond is 100 uh, percent bond has already been pushed out to the spring of 2021 right. but wonder woman is holding for christmas wonder woman at christmas is going to be a big movie and our theaters are safe we've had uh, where we're, we're many millions of people have been through our theaters since they've reopened, we haven't heard of one instance of uh, the COVID outbreak. You know, AMC signed on very early. We partnered with Clorox. We signed on with Harvard University School of Public Health. Uh, our safety protocols are comprehensive and intense. They're not just social distancing and mask wearing and sanitizing uh, gel. Uh, we've invested millions of dollars in uh, upgraded ventilation systems for our HVAC systems, HEPA vacuums, uh, electrostatic sprayers between shows. Uh, we're taking we're taking this virus very seriously. Uh, our our theaters have never been cleaner. Literally, we measure get cleanliness, and our guests are telling us that our theaters are the cleanest they've been in decades. Uh, but we need our movie titles. What New York means is that movie titles will be coming. Okay. Uh, Adam, uh, we look forward uh, to all going back to the movies and uh, we appreciate it. Wish you lots of luck. Thanks. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.